one and all to the American Towing and Recovery Institute podcast. This is DJ Harrington, your co-host, and our dear friend is on the line with us, 30-year veteran, Wes Wilburn. Wes, how are you? DJ, I'm doing wonderful today. Happy to be here. Happy to be talking to everybody. I can't thank all our listeners enough. We keep growing and growing. It amazes me every week. This thing's getting bigger. So uh, continue to tell your friends about it. Like us, share us. We're on all the different media, all the different by iHeartRadio, uh, Google, Apple. We're on, we're on them all. I don't even know. I don't even know them all, but we're on them all. They tell me, DJ. Yes, sir. We got them. I can't thank you, Chuck, enough for every the great stuff you do to make this podcast happen, and April and Kim and everybody on the team that make this thing roll on, and and our and our guests and our listeners, of course, too. I can't forget them. Exactly right. Well, when we were at the Tennessee Toe Show, we had one Brian Riker, who's known worldwide as the Your Dot Guy, and dot it com. was dot com. All right, dot com. And so what I want to tell everyone, it, this is a 30-year veteran, uh, experienced in towing, has his CDL license, and really is a compliance specialist. So we have him back. And I want to introduce all of you, the ones who have heard the last, and if you did not hear the podcast from before, you need to listen to it. But Both, both of the ones, we've had them on a couple times. He's we sure have. You're time. right. You're right, Wes. Full of information. Full, Full of information. He's a wonderful guy. So for our listeners, the one and only Brian Riker. Brian, how are you? Wonderful, DJ. Wonderful. Thank you and Wes for having me again. Happy to be here. All right, Wes. What is a tip that you would like us to share? I know I want to ask you about drivers and being, being safe where they're at. But what is your question? Folks ask me all the time. And um, as soon as I became aware of your service, I started mentioning to them. But folks ask me all the time for a service you provide that I, that I think is uh, sometimes underserved. A lot of folks want to come to seminars, learn how to build better. And that's important. That's a part of the business. A lot of folks want to come to the seminars, me and others do, and have done for years how to do better recovery where we talk about a little telling maybe. I'm blessed with having Pete Ashton Jr. on board that's getting us more in tune with towing. But but even then, that's still we're dealing with the back of the truck. We're not dealing with what a lot of folks do the majority of their day. The actual from the driver's seat, training, defensive driving, et cetera, information. We've never, we, we touched on it 20 years ago. But we since then, we've never really carried it that much. So uh, I know you do some stuff with defensive driving and, and that whatnot. So Brian, could you tell us, give us some tips about that stuff and give us a little insight of what you do and how you conduct things with your training? Happy to, Wes. Thank you for asking. Yeah, we, we spend a great deal of our time and energy, and we need to, uh, learning how to tell how to recover and be better operators there. And even when I talk to owners about their insurance and their loss, the first thing they go to are damage claims for transporting a vehicle. They don't think about the damage claims from motor vehicle accidents or even the near misses that could have been a catastrophic claim. So... When I speak about insurance and safety, I always include a component about being a professional motor vehicle operator. 
and at Fleet Compliance Solutions, I offer a defensive driving course where I will come to your facility. I will work with you and your drivers. We have a classroom component. We have an in-vehicle component where I evaluate their current skills. Then we do a little more classroom, and then we reevaluate to see how they can apply what we learned in the classroom. And these are proven defensive driving techniques that work because, unfortunately, we know the roads are unsafe. We are always on the defensive when, as soon as we step out of that cab, we're looking for the 5D drivers, the dumb, the drugged, the drowsy, the distracted, and the, uh, I forget the fifth one, but we're looking for the D drivers as soon as we step out of that cab. Well, what about when we're behind that wheel? Do we want to be one of them or do we want to be a professional? Well, a good professional operator has their head on a swivel even when they're behind the wheel. We're employing defensive driving techniques. We're watching for how these other drivers behave and we're anticipating their moves. So part of what I do and part of what I preach for safety is being a safe motor vehicle operator. We spend about 90% of our job behind the steering wheel, only 10% of it out of the truck, yet we spend 99% of our training for the 10% of the job we do. And unfortunately, at uh, the recent Wall of the Fallen ceremony, two of the names that were added to the wall were motor vehicle accidents. And I'm not saying they were preventable in any way. I am not implying that at all. But it just highlights the danger of tow operators passing from motor vehicle accidents, not just struck bys and other industrial accidents. And so I see it very important for us to have this discussion today. And I thank you for giving me the opportunity. Well, you're welcome. It is an important dis- discussion. Um, so give, give us a little bit of information with the, uh, what's the filing distance rule nowadays for an operator driving an empty car carrier? The official rule is awful light. The modern practice recommends a four-second following distance. And here's why I say that is light. I recommend personally a seven-second following distance. When, okay, good. Tell us about that. And here, here is why. A human being takes three-quarters of a second to perceive there is a hazard up ahead. Then they take another three-quarters of a second to begin to react to that hazard. So one and a half seconds have already followed, uh, have already elapsed before you even begin to react. Now, becoming more and more common, in fact, in the background of where I'm sitting right now, is a light, medium-duty truck with an air brake chassis. Air brakes add an additional three-quarters of a second of a delay called the lag time from the moment your foot pushes the brake pedal till the air travels through the system and the brakes begin to apply. So now we're at two and one quarter second. You've wasted half of your following distance before the vehicle even begins to slow down. Traveling at 60 miles an hour, your vehicle is traveling 132 feet per second. So you have 260 feet to come to a complete stop. None of the Federal Motor Vehicle Safety Standards require that carrier to be able to come to a complete stop in 230 feet. So following standard practice that they teach in driver's ed today for car drivers and sadly even some of the truck driving schools have adopted to teach, does not leave you enough room to react properly and have time to make a decision. 
Now, we shouldn't have to need to make that decision because we should always be looking for a way out anyhow and make have that decision made for us. You should constantly know where you're going to go if something happened in front of you. But we don't because we're human. We get tired. We get distracted ourselves. We One of the worst things we do is listen to the radio or talk on our phone, and that's part of what we do every day. That's how we get our dispatch calls. And if we were in a truck with no music all day, we'd go nuts. So we almost have to. But we have to balance and counteract for those distractions we create. Now you're going to say, Brian, well, four seconds is crazy. That's too far already, and now you're telling me seven seconds? They're going to keep cutting in front of me. Yes, they will. So you lift your foot off the throttle and you build that space back up. You're still going to get there. I have driven speed-governed trucks that are governed 62 miles an hour, and I've done cross-country trips with them to deliver them. And I can drive from New York to L.A. within an hour's difference, whether I'm doing it in a 62-mile-an-hour truck or a wide-open 75-mile-an-hour. So speed isn't always what gets us there. The following distance is extremely important. And then what we forget when we're in a wrecker or a carrier is that truck is designed to stop the carrier, is designed to stop best when it has some load on it. You might have reduced braking performance when the truck is light and empty because you don't have the same friction with your tires to the road. But we also have to consider as the weather changes, rain, snow, leaves that are falling in the fall here, they make the road extremely slippery. We, uh, with that, we have to consider steering when we're trying to stop. We also have to consider even loading a vehicle engine forward to engine rear on that carrier deck, how it's going to change the weight and either make your front axle steer heavier or steer lighter, which can also change your braking since the front brakes do approximately 70 to 80% of your braking on a motor vehicle. When we load something engine rear or we're pulling a double on our flatbed, one on the deck, one on the wheel lift, and our front axle is light, this is the whole reason we have that safe towing formula where you can determine not to unload your front axle by more than 50%. It affects not only your steering, it affects your braking. These are things we don't think about. We don't train our drivers on this, so it's not even, I won't say top of mind, it's not on their mind at all until they hit that brake and the truck keeps going straight because they don't have enough weight on the front axle to steer when in the wet roads. So that's just a small portion of the type of training that I believe we should take as professional drivers and that I can offer for somebody. Well, it's very much needed in, in our industry and other industries as well. So that's good to know. And I definitely appreciate your, in, your insight on that. Um, Wes, Wes, what I was going to say is how about if I give our number out of our hotline number for American Towing and Recovery Institute. So if they would like to ask a question or to know more about it. And then if we take our break, after our break, could we ask him some questions on just pure safety tips, tips for our listeners? Uh, Brian, we're real blessed. We have between 1,000 and 1,200 listeners right now. And we're looking for where we had a guy leave a message that I wish we had more safety tips on our hotline. So the hotline number for all of you out there, 706-409-5603. We're going to take a fast break, and we'll be back with our guest, Brian Riker, yourdotguy.com.
The American Towing and Recovery Institute is proud to announce they are the new owner of Towing Equipment Direct. This established towing equipment and supplies company is committed to help progressive towing companies stay ahead of the competition by providing the best quality of towing equipment and supplies. This online catalog with a full-service shopping cart is committed to providing the widest variety of affordable towing supplies and equipment made from the latest technology from the most respected brands in the industry. A popular item is the Peerless Galvanized Chain. This chain has been around for decades. We are the first to bring the superior performance chain to the towing industry. The Peerless Proprietary Shield TM process has a zinc mechanical deposit galvanizing coating. With 15,000 pounds working load limit, this Peerless Galvanized Chain is the choice for towers across the country. For this and many more popular items, go to our website at atri.com and click on the link towingequipmentdirect.com or just go directly to that site. We're working harder to make you smarter. Welcome back to American Towing and Recovery Institute podcast. This is DJ Harrington. Wes Wilburn is remote, but he's with us by phone, and we have a tremendous guest, Brian Riker, with us, yourdotguide.com. By all means, my first question, then we'll get one from Wes. My question, Brian, is our listeners... One guy had called our hotline number and said, could we give him some more tips on safety? So you're really the compliance specialist. Would you be kind enough to share with our listening base a little bit about safety tips that you know we should be adhering to? Absolutely happy to, DJ, because safety is such an important part of what we do every day. We need to come home to our families. So... My safety starts when I wake up in the morning and clearing my mind and having the right mindset. So it's a safety tip nobody thinks about, but leave your distractions behind. If you're not in the right frame of mind, you simply cannot perform. You just can't. So wake up in the morning. I don't care how much of a hurry you're in. I don't care if the sheriff is screaming at you. You got to get out there for that crash. Take a few seconds and make sure your mind is focused. Of course, I can say eat right and all of that because if we're not energized, we can't be safe. But really, it starts with the right mindset, the mindset that you want to come home to your family at the end of the day, and it goes from there. And every action you take, you need to evaluate the risk versus the reward. And it's going to sound cold, but you don't do anybody any good if you get killed or injured when you're trying to rescue them. That's why you don't see firefighters jump out of the truck and run around like crazy. They take a few moments to evaluate the situation. So always be aware of what's going on. Start your evaluation as you pull up on scene. Don't just pop your door open. Make sure traffic is safety is, is clear so you can safely get out of the cab. That is where we're at here. We just need to be aware of our situation. That's probably the number one safety tip I can give anybody. And that applies whether you're behind the steering wheel, walking across the shop floor, or outside loading or servicing a vehicle on the highway. Uh, some of our guys in Florida wear Bermuda shorts, flip-flops, and jump out of the truck like they're, you know, the, the beach boys. What are some of your tips for that character? <laughs> we have to wear appropriate clothing. The clothing choice you make is part of your personal protective equipment. Even walking the floor today at this show where I'm more or less on vacation, 
I have composite toe safety shoes on with anti-slip soles. I am in long pants and a normal shirt with nothing hanging down to get caught because I'm going to climb up in and out of some of these trucks. I'm going to check them out. Who knows what I might be called to do today to help somebody out with the show. But really, you have to be properly dressed for the job. And open-toed shoes have no place on a work site, and we are on a work site. Not only is it dangerous to you, it could put your customer at liability when you're going into some of these commercial facilities under what is a OSHA tenant called joint employer liability. So you could get a customer of yours thousands of dollars of fines, and well, I'll tell you, they're not going to be your customer anymore. But more importantly, you want to keep all 10 toes. You want to keep all 10 fingers. So we're not out here to be stylish. We're out here to be safe. Wear appropriate closed-toe shoes. I don't care if they're boots or or work shoes, but they need to be appropriate shoes, appropriate protection for your legs and your body with your clothing, nothing hanging down and loose where it's going to get caught. And please wear your compliant ANSI class three ensemble. You, you wear your vest, you wear gaiters or a hat or something else to identify your human silhouette. Even if you don't believe it's going to do a damn bit of good, it could help later on in the investigation after something serious did happen. But really, wear the appropriate clothing to prevent abrasions. And we're not tough guys. We don't have to do this job without our gloves on. The amount of grease under your fingernail is not a badge of honor. It just means you don't care about your hands. And when you get older like DJ and I, you're going to regret it. First time I haven't been included in the older group in a while, so I'll take that. <laughs> um, now that's all good information and a valid point. I'm gonna, I'm just gonna say a term and you just talk about it. I don't even know what question to ask. But I think you'll be fine. Daily vehicle inspection reports. What can you? Let's talk about that, Brad. Sure. That's a great safety topic as well, because the regulations require us to be satisfied the vehicle we're going to operate is in a safe working order. And the only way to do that, although the regulation itself does not actually require you to document a pre-trip inspection, it sounds crazy, but the only way to be sure that vehicle is safe is to complete that pre-trip inspection And the only way to prove it's been done is to document it on a daily vehicle inspection report. The way the regulation works, your DVIR gets completed at the end of the shift, then the next driver of the vehicle reviews it, and there's a loophole now. If there's no defect, you don't really have to do a written report, but that's all nonsense. You need that report because OSHA doesn't care what DOT says. If you have a motor vehicle crash or an injury from your vehicle, OSHA is going to look for the pre-use inspection, which is your daily vehicle inspection report. And regardless of it being a requirement, it's just good, sound safety sense. Make sure that truck is safe to be on the road. That way you don't hurt yourself, you don't hurt somebody else. And it's embarrassing when your tow truck breaks down and you have to be towed in. So let's make sure (laughs) that truck is safe and compliant before you hit the road with it. Not to mention, in today's day and age, your insurance company looks at your CSA, which is Compliance, Safety, and Accountability score. And if you have too many equipment violations, they're going to automatically assume you're an unsafe company and either adjust your premium upward accordingly to 
compensate them for that extra risk they're taking or just drop you all together. And there's less than two dozen actual companies writing tow truck insurance nationwide. They run under a bunch of different names. So when you break it down to the actual parent companies, we only have we only have 18 or 19 that are going to choose from. You don't have very many options once one of them drops you. So DVIR is extremely important, especially when you have multiple drivers in the truck. They need to be satisfied that that truck has all the equipment. It's in good order, and not just the basics for DOT, your tires, your lights, your brakes, your wire rope, your straps, your chains. Everything needs to be in good working order, and you need to be sure it is before you get out there on the side of the road and waste time. Uh, I just heard a recent statistic that for every two minutes we are on the side of the road, and I'm probably going to mess this up, but for every two minutes we're on the side of the road, our risk of being struck or causing a secondary crash increases 2%. So just because you failed to inspect your truck because you're in a hurry this morning, then you get out there and you find the night shift driver left your wire rope in a bird's nest and you're spending five minutes straightening it out. Not only do you look like a clown, but you just increased your risk of getting hit by approximately 5% while you were sitting there on the side of the road fixing something that should have been fixed before you left your yard in the morning. So again... DVIR is a very important safety topic. Absolutely. I I agree with those thoughts wholeheartedly, especially the whole looking like a clown on the side of the road. And that happens, I'm telling you. I'm always the type of person, I want to ask Brian, how many people check their fire extinguisher inside the vehicle before they get going? to make sure they have one. I was there one day when the state was inspecting vehicles, and they started on vehicle number one. Now, Wes, this is exactly what happened. The first five vehicles had everything. They had the fire extinguisher and everything. Then I watched drivers run around and take the fire extinguisher from the first truck that the inspector had already inspected and pick it up and run it back to truck number nine and put it in there so when the inspector got to truck number nine, they were covered. (laughs) I believe that wholeheartedly. Uh, And inspecting your fire extinguisher is more than just making sure it's there. To be DOT compliant, we can't just throw it behind the seat or under the seat or in the toolbox. It has to be properly mounted where it's easily accessible. The little latch that always comes undone has to work. You can't just put a wire tie over it. It has to be installed properly, and it needs to be properly charged. So for DOT purposes, we need to make sure it's there. But then for OSHA compliance, we need to make... Oh, for OSHA compliance, we need to make sure that it's been physically inspected. Yeah, that's a good point as well. You have things happening on several different levels there. Again, to remind everybody that's listening, they're live on the Tennessee Toe Show floor. We've got this extra session with Brian Riker, your, your DOT guy, dot com. Uh, we're happy to have that, but we you do have a little background noise there. I guess the house is making an announcement. Um, yes, it was. They were making an announcement about the tow truck beauty contest coming up in about an hour and a half here at the <laughs> yes. Tennessee Tow Show. Folks, this has been a great presentation by Brian Riker. And Brian, if you would, for our closing thoughts, what are some of your safety tips or just generic tips that you'd like to share with our listeners at American Towing and Recovery Institute? 
Thank you, DJ. Generically, like I said earlier, safety is an attitude, so keep your mind in the game. Yes. Wear your proper clothing. Keep your head on a swivel. Nobody is going to care about your personal safety more than you are. Don't trust that the DOT or the officer has the lane closed. You verify yourself. Don't trust that that vehicle is de-energized. You verify yourself. And most of all, just slow down and think, does this feel right or does this feel rushed? Because if it's rushed, it's wrong. You have been one super guest. Wes, what are your closing points, my friend? I want to thank Brian for coming here and sharing his knowledge. As always, thank you and Chuck, April, Kim, and the whole team. Everybody helps put all this together. It was a pleasure to be here and share some information with everybody. I found it worthwhile and useful. I hope you did. Stay in touch with us, American Tone and Recovery Institute. Shortcut to our website, www. A-M-T-O-W-R-I, and that's .org. A-M-T-O-W-R-I dot org. Stay in contact with us. If you got any questions, send them away. We'd love to put them on the air. And thanks to everybody. Be safe out there. God bless. Thank you, Wes. Thank you. That's a wrap. Thank you.